Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. Who's excited for Christmas? That's good. That's good. I'm sure that the kiddos would be a little bit louder than that. So let's try it one more time so that they can hear us over at Victory Kids. Who's excited for Christmas? Now that's what I'm talking about. I love Christmas, the whole season. Um, It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? And I'm sure we've all heard 16 renditions of that song already. And maybe you have. Um, Why don't you look at somebody sitting beside you and say, Merry Christmas. Yeah, look at your other neighbor, your second choice, and say, Feliz Navidad. But put a little accent in there. You got to put a little, you know, flavor into it. And uh, Christmas is awesome. You know, so many great things about Christmas. It's really the only holiday with its own color scheme. You know, it's its own holiday with that has its own music, multiple versions of the same song. I mean, some other holidays have other, like, one or two songs, but not like Christmas. You know, like, Christmas has a bazillion songs, and every artist does their own rendition. Christmas got its own movies, its own, you know, every store has its own Christmas section, and Christmas is everywhere. It has its own characters. It has its own uh, baking and cooking and recipes. I mean, uh, it is awesome. Christmas is awesome. One of the things that's so interesting to me about Christmas is the scents of Christmas, the smells of Christmas. You know, like uh, when I think about the scent of Christmas, I think about like a like a pine tree, you know, in your house. It just smells good. Or like a little bit of cinnamon. You, oh, there. Now we're in the holiday mood. Or freshly baked cookies. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. See, we're feasting now and fasting later. Praise the Lord. There may or may not be some strategic alignment of those two things. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, but let me tell you something. There are a lot of Christmas scents, a lot of Christmas scents. And I went to uh, look at some Christmas scents the other day, and it was a bit overwhelming because there's so many. It's like the cereal aisle at Publix. There's just scents everywhere. And I, I made a list here of some of the scents. So such descriptive names of the scents of Christmas. One of my favorites is Vanilla Bean Noel. Doesn't it? It just sounds joyful and triumphant, doesn't it? You know, or what about winter candy apple? It sounds like something you would find in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, right? <laughs> winter candy apple or gingerbread latte. I'll have a grande gingerbread latte, please, you know. Sounds like that. Here's one that sounds like it would be painful. A frosted coconut snowball. Like you knock somebody out with one of those. What do you smell like? I smell like I just knocked somebody out with a snowball. One of my favorites that I saw was snuggly sweater. Just what I want to smell like. A musty old sweater from the attic. Here's an interesting one. Sugar plum swirl. I don't know what that is. I don't know if sugar plums swirl, but apparently that's what you can smell like that. A very popular one, warm vanilla sugar. Come on in, somebody. What about this one? Um, a fresh sparkling snow. The dog hasn't even gone outside yet. You can smell like the clean snow. And for all of those who like a good mic drop, if you prefer, you can have a coconut mint drop. Come on. The sense of Christmas. There's so many different ones. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. 
some of y'all are going to go to the stores afterwards and see some of your own. And if you find some funny ones, send them my way. But so many sense of Christmas and so many people have ideas about what Christmas is all about. Many people, Christmas is about the presents. You know, we've heard all of that. And while we know Christmas isn't about the presents, we know that at Christmas, God sent his only son, Jesus, to make a way for humanity, to make an alternative for, for humanity to pay for their sin. So without Christ, we had to pay for our own sin. Scripture says the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. We would be eternally separated from God, spiritually dead for eternity. But Christ came to the earth to make an alternative to that so that anyone who would put their faith in Christ through his death and resurrection could be made new. Their spirit could receive the life of God and they could have their sins paid for on the cross through Jesus Christ. And in other words, Christmas began with the greatest gift of all time. So Santa didn't invent gift giving. And sometimes people tell that to their kids to make them, you know, whatever feel. But no, God is the original gift giver. The real reason we give gifts at Christmas is because God gave us the first gift and the best gift that we will ever receive. And in turn, our response to that is then we live to give. That is why we give presents at Christmas. So Christmas really is about presents. Now, before y'all get mad at me and get up out of here, he's preaching heresy. No, I'm not talking about the presents that show up under the Christmas tree. I'm talking about the present that showed up nailed to a tree. Come on. There is something about the gift that God has given us. God gives gifts, but just not like we do. And the presents from God, uh, sure, are the calling of God on our lives, many things that God gives us, spiritual giftings. But part of the gift that God gives us, he gave us the gift of his presence. So not like a present, like a gift, like presence, like uh, being with us. One of his names that he, he said Jesus would be called was Emmanuel, which when you translate it means God with us. That means that God is with us. That Jesus left heaven behind, left the majesty and the glory and the power of heaven, left the angels behind. See you later, boys. I'll be back. But he left heaven, invaded earth to make an exit for us. Come on. Jesus made an entrance onto the scene to make an exit for us. And that's significant because without Jesus, we didn't have an exit. It's like the house is on fire in the middle of the night and there's no way out. Like, how do I get out of here? Help, help, I can't get out. Somebody help me get out. But Jesus made an entrance into the fire to make an exit for anyone who would follow him. Come on. That's what Christmas is all about. And that, see, that's why religion will never work because you know, religion is all about just making the exterior seem better while nothing really changes on the inside. Religion is about just going through the process and just doing some things to appease our conscience. But Jesus came for life transformation. Jesus came after your heart to have relationship, to be close with you. That's why when he made the, the exit for us, he was like, come follow me and I will transform you. I will make you into something that you weren't before. I will make all things new. The old is going to be gone. Leave it behind and come and follow me. There's the impliedness when you're following someone, you're close to them. I know social media has taught us that following is just scrolling every now and then, but that's not the way that we follow Jesus. 
We're not, we're not just a, a, a fan of Jesus. We don't just follow his page and like some posts. No, we're, we're following after his life, after the way that he showed us to live and to think and believe. Uh, that's why I always say Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to bring dead people to life. That was us. I love the way 1 Peter chapter 1 says, First uh, Peter 1, 18, this is the Passion Translation. It says, for, for you know that your lives were ransomed once and for all from all the empty and futile way of life handed down from generation to generation. Come on, that's a good place to give God some praise. I don't know what the history of your family looks like, but mine is a little messed up, a little bit broken, a little bit out of order. But Jesus came to ransom me from the destruction and everything that was tried to be handed down to me. It was not a ransom payment of silver and gold, which eventually perishes. So please don't live your life all about things that will eventually perish. But the ransom payment, he says, was the precious blood of Christ, who like a spotless, unblemished lamb was sacrificed for us. I want you to underline or highlight that. Remember that phrase, the spotless, unblemished lamb. It's important today. This was part of God's plan. What was God's plan? Well, we just read it that the blood of Christ would ransom us from destruction of sin, right? This was part of God's plan. For he, Jesus, was chosen and destined before the foundation of the earth was laid. Let that sit in for just a moment. Before the foundation of the earth was laid, before Genesis 1-1, God had a plan to rescue us from sin. Wow. I mean... That's kind of like we can struggle to comprehend the depth of the purpose that God has in everything that he does. And here he's saying before the world was formed, he had a plan for us. But he has made, been made manifest in these last days for you. It is through Jesus, through him, that you now believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that you would fasten your faith and your hope in God alone. It's amazing. That's the story of Christmas right there. You know, uh, Rudolph isn't the story of Christmas. The Lamb of God is the story of Christmas. And so today I want to share this message called the wrapping and the gift. The wrapping and the gift. There is a big difference between the wrapping and what the gift actually is. And what's amazing about the Christmas story is that God chose a teenage girl to carry and give birth to and love and raise and cherish the greatest gift the world would ever known. And that's kind of crazy because I think back to when I was a teenager, my brain didn't work all the way. Anybody else? And if you are not raising your hand, you should be because when you are a teenager, your brain is still trying to figure things out. And all the moms and dads said, amen, right? But God chose a teenage girl. He entrusted her to, with the greatest gift the world would ever have. That's one reason why I'm wholeheartedly about the next generation, about raising them up, investing into them so that they would have encounters with the Spirit of God, so that they would learn to know the voice of God, so that they would have the Word of God deep within their hearts, so that they could begin to use their gifts and serve in the house and lead at a high level while they are still young. I love what the Apostle Paul said to a, uh, a pastor that in his life. Uh, he happened to just be a young 20 
20-something adult. So whether you're a teenager or a young adult, God has a plan for your life. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Right? But then he says to the young people, he says, young people, I need you to set an example for the believers in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Evidently, thus young at heart people need an example sometimes. And so God raised up a young generation and said, young generation, I need you to be the example. So that tells me that young generation, come on, look at me right now. As young generation, come on, you can lead the way. You don't have to live like the world has taught you to live. You can live in purity. You can live in great faith. You can lead in your conduct. You can lead in your speech. And it's time for you to rise up into all those things. I don't care where you were yesterday. Right now, God is calling you up to another level today. So we're leaving the former things behind and moving forward. But we got to rise up. We got to move beyond where we are and stop living down here in the status quo and in the muck and the mire. No, you're called up to a higher place. And it's going to require you to leave some things behind. You can't walk in the calling of God and continue to live in a life of sin. You can't walk worthy of your calling and still be living in everything else just doing your own thing. No, Scripture says when we walk worthy of of our calling. It requires, it costs something more of us, right? But it is worth it every time. You don't have to be a grown-up to do great things, young person. You don't have to be old. You can do it now. And in fact, even for those who are a little bit older, come on, anybody else like myself? I'm still young. <laughs> when I was 18, I thought 45 was old. And now that I'm 45, I think I'm not old. I'm still young. Praise the Lord. No matter how young or old you are, if you have breath in your lungs, God is not done with you yet. There is a calling on your life. There is an anointing on your life. God has something for you to do, and it's attached to somebody else's destiny. What that means is that what God has called you to do will impact the life of somebody else to change their eternity. That's what the calling of God, that's what the anointing of God on our lives. That's why I'm so thankful for so many people in this church, men and women who have decided, you know what, I can, I can help serve in Victory Kids. I can be a spiritual mom and dad. Uh, I can help serve in Victory Youth and even young adults making a difference in this generation. i got to get back to my message. Jesus came to make an entrance so that we would have an exit. Aren't you glad when the preacher stays on his notes? There's a big difference between the wrapping and the gift that's inside. What's interesting as we go through all this wrapping gifts is that the gift and the wrapping paper, they have nothing to do with each other. They're not related at all. Now, I know there's some people, like, you buy your kids Star Wars Legos and you wrap it in Star Wars wrapping paper. Like, that's cool. That's great. But, uh, but the, the point of the wrapping paper, the wrapping paper is not the gift. The gift is what's inside. The wrapping paper, its only purpose is to momentarily hide the gift that's inside. That's what it does. But like in my house, we just rip it open. We don't even save it. Somebody's like, uh, some, some, somebody just got hurt by that. But that's okay. You, if you want to fold up the wrapping paper, reuse it. That's on you. Uh, I just prefer to just get rid of it. When I was growing up in Oklahoma, we used to throw the wrapping paper in the fire and just, and just burn it that way. That's a great way to do it too. But the wrapping paper is only there for a moment to, to hide what's inside the gift. It's not related to the gift at all. It doesn't define what the gift is. It's just covering up what the gift is. It's, it's completely two different ideals of what those things are. And, and we've got to realize that the calling of God on our lives is similar. 
When God gives us a call in our lives, when he puts a dream in our heart, he leads us to do something. What, what the calling is is the gift. But sometimes how it's given to us in the wrapping that it comes in, it doesn't look that great. It doesn't, it doesn't look like it. And sometimes the wrapping looks like unanswered questions. Sometimes when God calls you to do something, you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. Sometimes the wrapping, when God calls you to do something to change the world, it looks like I don't have resources for this. Or I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have enough training. I'm not the right one. Surely there's somebody better than me. Sometimes the wrapping that comes when God gives us a gift, there's, there's some doubt involved. There's some uncertainty. Sometimes there's some, some worry and some fear that, that comes along. And I think if we look back at the first Christmas, this whole thought of the wrapping and the gift, we'll see that the first Christmas wasn't as, you know, picturesque as we try to make it out to be sometimes. That it was actually a little bit more messy than we like to realize. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, maybe you've got the Free You Version Bible app, and that's okay too. Get that out, and I'll see that nice little glow on your face. I'm going to pretend you're not on Facebook, but you're in the Bible. I'll preach better that way. You know, as we read uh, these stories of the birth of Jesus, they, it's so easy for them to be so familiar to us that we can just kind of skim over some of the things that are there that God has for us in the familiarity or sometimes even as we read stories or we hear passages of Scripture that we know so well, we've heard before, sometimes we can receive it how we want it to be rather than what's actually God put in the text for us. So today my hope is that we wouldn't miss the significance of the purpose, the details that God puts in the stories it's just like because God didn't, put all this stuff together so we could have some nice Christmas feels. No, he put this in here to bring deep change, transformation in us. So my prayer today is that through these passages of Scripture, you'd allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. The first Christmas went a little bit like this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace and had in mind to divorce her quietly. This public disgrace the text is referring to is a nice way of saying stoning. He's not talking about the 70s kind. You know, like that's not stoning he means. He, he's talking about the kind of stoning where they would throw rocks at a person until they died. That kind of stoning. Like everyone in the town would gather around that person until that person was dead. Like so that's what he was trying to avoid. That's, you know, so the first Christmas had like death threats. The first Christmas had rumors of divorce. But after he considered this, praise God, he considered it. You know, some, that's a whole message right there. Sometimes before we just act, we need to stop and consider things with the Spirit of God. What if Joseph hadn't considered what he was about to do? Joseph was about to walk away from the thing that the whole world is celebrating right now. He's about to walk away from his calling because the wrapping doesn't look so good. The wrapping looks like my girl pregnant, but it ain't for me. That's not some, that's, I am sure that's not how Joseph pictured this thing going. 
<laughs> Anybody else, you know what I'm talking about? Like that, like it looked a little bit differently, but he paused to consider it. And sometimes I think in our world of go, 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 that we're missing the pause moments, the Selah moments, the be still and know that I am God. Let me consider not just in myself what works out best for me, but he considered what he was doing. God, what do you want me to do in this situation? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Don't you always imagine the angel's voices being like super deep, like the best radio voice you ever heard? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So the first Christmas was people filled with fear. Joseph, afraid? Don't be afraid, Joseph. There's rumors of divorce, brokenness. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she had given birth to a son, and they gave him the name Jesus. The wrapping and the gift. It looks different sometimes. The wrapping is there, and it, it has labels on it. And Joseph was about to run from his call before he ever embraced it. But God shows up on the scene in a moment where Joseph is considering what's about to happen, thinking through it, praying about it. God shows up and said, Joe, I know it doesn't look like what you thought it would. I know things look a little messed up, a little broken. I know things look confusing right now. But even though you can't see me, I'm with you. Even though it doesn't, you don't feel like it, I am with you. Don't run from this. Uh, it might be challenging, but my presence will be with you. And I would tell you the same is true in your life. When life seems the scariest and most uncertain, God is on board with you. He is Emmanuel. He is with you, and he hasn't left you. And see, what happens here in this moment when Joseph is considering, the word of the Lord comes to him, and the moment the word of the Lord shows up on the scene, faith begins to build in Joseph. We know this is true. Romans tells us. In Romans 10, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, right? And so here, Joseph is hearing the word of the Lord, and fear is changing to faith. There's this moment when we get in God's presence and we begin to hear the word of God. It begins to build faith in us and it begins to drive out fear, right? And I would just encourage you today, what if today was the day you stopped running from your calling? What if today was the day you embraced your calling? I know the wrapping doesn't look like what you thought it would be when God called you into this. When God called you to make a difference, you thought it would be a lot more spectacular. But in the moment, it doesn't look that way. It looks like some hurt, some pain, some disappointment. But what if today was the day you embraced the calling God has put on your life? You're able to say no to the fear and yes to the faith in us. What if the calling that God has brought you into with the wrapping that's not attractive wrapping was the very thing that God would use to bring freedom for your life and for others around you. Isn't that Joseph's story? God was about to bring Jesus to the earth through Mary, and Joseph is about to be like, that does not look like a nicely wrapped gift. I don't want it. And yet God is saying, hey, I want to give you this gift. See, God is a great gift giver, but just sometimes the wrapping doesn't, work, doesn't look that great. But that doesn't mean the gift is any less valuable. 
That doesn't mean that it, it's not from God. See, see, I think we get, we get too involved in giving the devil all the credit. We start, we start, well, this must be from the devil because there's too much resistance. God must not be in this one. It was God who gave you the calling. It's just that the wrapping doesn't look great. And we need to sometimes just get past that, just get rid of some of that thing, tear some things off that have been trying to stick on us that were only meant to be a temporary season. And we've decided to keep that wrapping paper and fold it up so that we can pull it out and look at it later and feel better about where we are rather than embracing and walking through our calling. Come on, today I believe God wants to rip off some of this wrapping and throw it in the fire because that's where it belongs so that we can move forward into all that he has for us. I love what Romans chapter 8 says, verse 34. This is the message paraphrase. It says, God went for the jugular. Come on, that's some descriptive language. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something as remote or unimportant. The problem he's referring to is the problem of sin that would sin would separate us from God. And to God, it was a problem because God wants to be close. So he says God dealt with the problem. It wasn't something just far off, oh, we'll deal with that later. No, he says, in his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. I love this because as I read this, I thought, man, Jesus could have come in all of his glory he could have showed up with his power and with all of his angels and with all of his majesty. Like he could have shown up that way on this earth. I'm here to save you. And we would have worshipped him, but out of fear. <laughs> we would have worshipped him because we would have seen like, oh, he is like he's majesty, he's, he's glory. And we would have seen and we would have just worshipped because like, that would have been the appropriate response. We, out, of, out of reverence and fear, we would have, but he didn't show up that way. He chose to show up wrapped in frailty. He chose to show up wrapped in humanity. Why? I believe because he, as he experienced everything that we would experience so that when we come to him, he could relate perfectly. He was like, I, I understand. I, I, I know what it was like. I know what it's like when people betray you because I experienced that. Let me, let me minister healing to your heart. I know what it's like when, you know, like he experienced everything so that we could cry out to him. He showed up wrapped in humanity as a baby so that he could grow and experience all of this so that he could know your life, so that he could be close to you in the midst of everything. Let's look at another part of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, probably the most famous rendition of the, the Christmas story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Aren't you glad your mom didn't name you Quirinius? Imagine spelling that when you're four. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Here's a second group of people. Christmas, a Christmas story are afraid. <laughs> but the angel said to them, 
do not be afraid. I love that because it just lets me know that if there's some chaos in my life, that God is still with me, that God can still speak to me in the midst of chaos. So even at Christmas, if things don't go the picture-perfect Christmas card kind of way, it's okay. It wasn't perfect back then. It's probably not going to be perfect this year. And But that's okay. God is still with me in the midst of it. God can still move and do great things in the midst of the chaos. Do not be afraid, the angel said. I bring you good news that will cause Great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. Somebody underline that. This will be a sign to you. We're going to come back to that. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The gift is different than the wrapping, right? We see here all the things going on. We've, we've read about the people that were afraid. If we were to read Mary's story in Scripture, we would see another person who was filled with fear, and the angel had to come and calm her down. Mary, don't be afraid. There's all kinds of things going on in this first Christmas, but I'm so thankful, like in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of the wrapping and the things that didn't look good, the promise was there. God had shown up and said, I'm going to send the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the one who's going to change everything, is going to come through this. It's the most amazing gift. It's just just that the wrapping doesn't look so great. And what most people would walk away from, I'm so thankful for two faith-filled people who embraced their calling in the story. Come on. They were willing to embrace the gift from God, even though it looked like hurt, even though it looked like rejection, even though it looked like ridicule and all of that kind of stuff. I'm so thankful that they didn't push it off aside. And I wonder if there's anyone else here today willing to embrace their call, regardless of what the wrapping looks like. I wonder if there's anybody else willing to embrace their gift from God, even though it might be a struggle, even though it might cost you something that you thought was so important, right? It's, it's, uh, it, it's going to require courage if you're going to embrace your call. I think about Mary in those nine months that she had to carry around all of the worries and all the thoughts. Nine months before the gift ever got there, she had to deal with the wrapping. See, when you step into your calling, your calling is the divine thing that God has put on your heart. You know, sometimes when you see a person or you see a need and there's something inside of you that wells up like, oh, I want to bring a solution to that. I want to help heal that hurt. Like that's part of the calling. That's a clue in in your spirit that God is bringing to the surface to let you know what you are called to do. So when that happens, don't just push it down, just push it 
to the side. No, begin to embrace that. Begin to pray about it. Begin to speak in tongues about it and ask God, God, why do I have this burden in my heart? What is this dream that you've given me? I don't understand it. It could be that God is trying to bring something to you just that is wrapped up in something that doesn't look like something that God is going to use. But if you'll begin to press through, if you'll begin to have courage about the calling of God on your life, you'll begin to see things taking place. i got to tell you this. If you're going to walk in your calling, your comfort is not promised. It will be uncomfortable. If you're going to walk in your calling, it's going to require it's going to require something of you. It doesn't come for free. Your comfort is not promised, but your protection and your safety is guaranteed. Fulfillment and joy is always the result of walking in your calling. It's like what we do here at the church. Sometimes people ask me, don't you just love what you do? Yes, we love what we do. Like, we always say that. This is fun. We love what we do, and it is. It is the joy of our lives, just, not just to serve as your pastor, but all, that's our, the attitude of our whole team. We, we love it. We love that we get to serve. We're like, thank you, God, for choosing us. But it does require something. <laughs> you know, ask the setup team who was here at 7 a.m. this morning. If it was just, it was just on the, you know, if it was just so fun to get up early on a Sunday and come sweat and move stuff around, I mean, like we love it, but it re- it costs something. It requires something of us. Like there's there's there there's there's that side of it where we we've got to come and we've got to give something so that someone else could experience the presence of God. You're sitting in a room because someone else was here preparing the environment for God to move in your life. You can hear my voice through the microphone because people are serving right now, making sure that you could hear it. And someone was here to plug the speakers in and and had enough expertise in what they uh, learned throughout their life to say, God, even though I I spent time and my abilities to get this expertise, God, I'm going to give it in service to you. Sometimes we hold so tightly to the things that we've learned, to our expertise, our skills and our abilities, and we forget that those things actually came from God in the first place. And so many people are like, who are you to ask me to get like, listen, there is no better place for you to use your skills, your expertise, your knowledge, your time than in the kingdom of God. Like you could, like it's great. Like I believe God calls people to be pastors and leaders and evangelists. I believe there's youth pastors in this room in this church right now. There's young adult pastors. There's there's missionaries and evangelists. But God also calls people to build businesses. God also calls people to be stay-at-home moms. God also calls people to be school teachers. And in the political arena and in the entertainment arena, God calls people into every sector of life. Why? Because there are people everywhere we go that are far from him. There are his sons and his daughters that don't know him. And he's raised you up to go into those places to be a light, to be a voice, to stand up and be like, hey, this way is home. Let's go. We love what we do, which, by the way, this is your personal invitation to be part of the setup team. Come on, where's all my men at? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Come on, I'm just going to tell you guys, there's some single moms out serving you on the setup team. That's just the truth. Come on. It's not always easy, but it is fulfilling. If you're looking for easy, then you're not going to be walking in the calling that God created you for. But if you're looking for fulfilling, now we can start talking about what has God called you to do. It will cost you something, but the rewards now are abundant. The rewards now are, are, are uh, fulfilling, and the rewards in eternity will be overflowing. The gift will look different than the packaging. 
I guarantee you that. If you, and by the way, if you don't know what your calling is, that's why we have what we call Next Steps. It's a great way to begin to discover what that is. And if you haven't uh, been part of that, we'll have that starting in January, the first three Sundays of every month. The first Christmas, you know, <laughs> it looked a little different for us looking back on the story than it does being in the story and looking at all the details. You know, think about Joseph for a moment. He didn't know the end. Right? He didn't know about the miracles that Jesus would do. He didn't know about the little girl that Jesus would raise to life. He didn't know about Lazarus and the blind man that he would heal. He didn't know about the woman with the issue of blood and all the, the feeding the 5,000. He didn't know about the cross and the resurrection. He didn't know about you and me. All he knew was that right now he's in a mess. He's trying to serve God. He's trying to do things the right way. And now his girl's pregnant. It wasn't by him. He's kept himself pure. He thought she was, but, I, you know, there's some evidence there, you know, like for him, he's looking at the situation and now people are talking about him. People are talking about his girl. What's going on with you? What happened here? Are you guys, you know, like what's going on, right? Think about Mary and the ridicule that she faced. It was so bad she had to leave town and go to a relative's house to stay there while she was pregnant. Like, like it looked a little differently. And the thing that we've got to realize is that while we're looking in, we know the end of the story. We know the whole story. And so before we get all judgy on Joseph and like, well, he doesn't know if he's going to go through with this or Mary, she had to, you know, whatever. Like we've got to realize that our lives aren't perfect either. And I think it's a good reminder that God does things a little differently than how we plan them out sometimes. You know, here's teenage Mary out of town, away from her family with her new husband who wasn't the father of her baby, and uh, they're in this town where they're not from. And um, I would just encourage you, the gift that God gives you, the calling of God on your life, when things get tough, when things seem out of control, when things seem unfair or whatever, it's in that place that we see, we see our level of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not found when things are going our way, when everything's fine, when everything's good. Anybody can give God praise in those places. See, it's when things take the other turn, when things start to fall apart, when things seem like they're not going the right way, when, it, when, you know, when there's a diagnosis or when finances are tight and there's not enough or when this happens or whatever happens, when we're disappointed, when somebody rejects us or somebody leaves us, or somebody hurts us or whatever. It's in that point we find out is there a praise inside of us or is there a complaint inside of us. It's in that point when things are going the wrong way where we find Find out, are we drawing near to him or do we just want to gossip and murmur and have our own way? It's in that point we, we determine, are we growing and spiritually mature or are we just self-absorbed and selfish? It's that place where, you, you know, I think the, the heart of what God is looking for is not perfection in those moments, but are, is there growth? Are, are we becoming more like him? So spiritual maturity then is not determined based on what we have or what we can know or what we can do, but spiritual maturity is then based on how we respond. How do we respond in a situation when, you know, when life is unfair and someone treats you bad? Do we respond in kind or do we respond with all of the, you know, stuff that people would tell us, well, you have the right to spew out? You know, maturity is developed when we walk through the hard and the bad when can still praise him. When we walk through the unfair and we're still willing to forgive, we're still willing to give generously, we're still willing to love freely when others won't. 
So this Christmas, wherever you're going, whoever you're celebrating with, or maybe you're missing someone at your celebration, whatever looks like it's not working, or who rejected you, or who's talking behind your back, whatever's going on, remember this. Jesus is with you this Christmas. Emmanuel. And just because you can't see him doesn't mean he left you. Just because you can't feel him doesn't mean he's not there. Just because you can't hear him doesn't mean he left you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That is his promise. That is one of the gifts that he gives you is he is with you. It's just that the wrapping is sometimes we can't feel him or we can't see him moving. But that's just the wrapping. And we need to get rid of that wrapping, tear it off. Listen, the teacher is silent when he gives a test. You know, he's silent. And if he's allowing you to walk through some things, it doesn't mean that he's left you. It means he's trusted you to walk through it with his presence beside you. It means he trusts you enough to know that he's still good. When you're going through some things, can you still call on his name? Can you still give him some praise even when the wrapping doesn't look like what the gift promised? I love what Deuteronomy 31.8 says. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Come on, that's a good promise from the Lord right there. So the decision is ours. Fear or faith? Come on. We have the promise. We just read it. God is with us. So you know what God's going to do. But what are you going to do? Are you going to act in fear or are you going to act in faith? You don't have to be afraid. But listen, the choice to act in faith Looks like you've got you you've got to make uh, people the spiritual way of saying that people say you got to walk it out, you know that's that's the spiritual phrase. What that looks like is like that's easier said than done, <laughs> you know. Walking out is really just like it's the daily decision, and sometimes it's the hourly decision to choose faith over fear. Sometimes it's like every five minutes I've got to choose faith over here. Anybody else? Like when you're really going through it and life is just out of control, like it looks like there's a conscious decision in my mind and in my will and in my spirit to say, no, I'm not going to choose faith. I'm going to choose the promise of God. God is with me. I'm not going to act in fear. I'm not going to make a decision based on, oh, I just don't know what's going to happen. What if everyone leaves me? What if everything falls apart? Well, that's just the voice of fear. But just because it's there doesn't mean that's the only thing. The voice of faith will be there too. And walking it out looks like when I hear those voices, when I hear those thoughts like, oh, this is terrible. I just, I'm so afraid of this, that in that moment I let my spirit man rise up to say I might feel that way but my spirit says God is with me so I will not be afraid the two will be there but you've got to allow your spirit to override your feelings come on we I preached about this uh, earlier this summer hooked on a feeling some of us are hooked on the feeling of fear like you, we can tell because our lives are driven by it that's why so many people respond so negatively when we talk about giving because they're afraid They've chosen the fear of their finances and they just wrap it in greed or I've got to keep everything so that I have enough rather than choosing faith and saying, God, when you're involved, whatever I have will be better. Sometimes it's in relationships. We hold on to relationships when we shouldn't because 
We have the fear of what if I'm alone or whatever it is. But God has called us not to act in fear, but to act in faith. So walking it out looks like that. It's just that practical thing of knowing the thoughts are going to come. The devil is going to send the fiery darts, but that's why you have the armor of God, the shield of faith, it says, to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. So you've got to raise up your faith. You've got to allow your spirit, man, to rise up in those moments when your mind and your thoughts are getting out of control. But you've got to make the decision. It's a conscious decision to, to stop and consider it like Joseph for a moment. Okay, am I going to be all alone? No, I'm not all alone. You're surrounded by family. I know some of, some of your family in this room has different skin colors and backgrounds or whatever. Praise God for that. You know, like I'm so thankful that my family doesn't look just like me. And I just encourage you, if you felt alone this holiday season, you have people in this room who will be like family to you. And some of you are like, this ain't like family. My family's yelling and shouting all the time. Like, well, praise the Lord. Let me give you um, a couple just, uh, I call them pro tips. Pro tips to choosing faith over fear real quick. Because I know it's easier said than done, right? So how do we do this? Because in those moments, I know fear feels so overwhelming. Here's the first pro tip. If you're going to choose faith, let your spirit man rise up. Don't listen to your feelings and your circumstances. Listen, your feelings will betray you at the blink of an eye. <laughs> and then in the next blink of your eye, your feelings will change. Because feelings are just up and down. One moment I feel hungry, then I don't feel hungry. One moment I feel cold, and then I feel warm. You know, like, like feelings are just come and go. They are great indicators, but they're terrible decision makers. Right? We're not meant to live according to our feelings. That's why when you feel tired, when you feel frustrated or hurt, your feelings lie to you and tell you that someone hates you when they actually love you. Like your feelings will change. And same with your circumstances. When we make decisions based on the circumstances, then life gets out of control. But when we make decisions according to the promise of God, then we reap the reward of God. I mean, it's like, uh, we go back, you know, money is such a practical tool, you know, like it's the same way when we make decisions about our money based on our circumstances, that's where people look at it and be like, well, the economy is just not good. And so I like I don't have a, I can't give right now. I've seen people that have in one season have the same level of income. And they're giving, and they come and they say things to me like, Pastor, we just have the surplus this month. We just have this extra. Is there some project we can give to? Well, we just, we just, we've just been so blessed. I can't explain it, but we've been giving, and, and God has just been blessing us. And in another season, same level of income, but not be giving and not be able to make ends meet. See, it's not a problem of income level. It's a problem of priority level. It's a problem of faith where we've put God first in a season, and every time God is first, you will be overwhelmed and have overflowing blessing and prosperity, and just you just can't help but turn around and be like, wow, where is this coming from? Well, it's the unexplainable, unmerited blessing of God on your life. But the moment that we begin to decide based by our circumstances, well, I just don't know how we're going to make it, so we probably need to not give this month because of what, like, the, then we move away from the blessing and what God 
says we move under the curse. And now we can't keep up because it's just all on us. And I don't know about you. I've lived in that place before where I wasn't giving, where I wasn't prioritizing God, and I just wore myself out trying to provide everything that I couldn't provide anyways. Anybody else ever been there? It's okay. There's no shame in that game. We've been redeemed. We've, we've restored our lives and are now living according to the promise of God in faith, right? Don't listen to your feelings, your circumstances. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I love when people say, just follow your heart. What's in your heart? No, don't follow your heart. <laughs> Please don't follow your heart. You know, like if, if, you, just, if you just ate a, like a spicy Chick-fil-A sandwich and you follow your heart, you, you might have heartburn. You know, like that ain't good. Follow your spirit. Follow the word. The word of God is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. The heart is deceitful. Don't listen to it. Don't follow it. Don't trust it. So what do we do? That's why it's so important to get into the word every day. It's not so that you can just say, see how good of a, a, a Christian I am. I, I did perfect Bible reading. Like, that's great. But you've missed the whole point. The whole point is to get it deep inside of your heart. Hide the word of God in your heart. Why? So we wouldn't sin against him. Hide the word of God in your heart so when fear wants to attack, the sword of the spirit will come out of your mouth. Like that's the point is to get it inside of you, to let it transform you, to let it direct your response to things so that you can grow and mature in Christ. So when you don't know what to do, the answers are in the word. When you feel afraid, the answers are in the word. When you are disappointed by somebody, the answer is in the word, right? That's the thing that we listen to. That's the thing that we trust. Here's another pro tip to choosing faith over fear is to choose your words carefully when you're low or afraid. <laughs> oh, I learned this one the hard way in my life. Some people gotta learn the hard way. Well, DC Talk, the bike, nobody. My sister-in-law is watching in Toledo, and she's shouting right now. She's the biggest DC Talk fan ever. I love you, sis. But listen, sometimes it's best not to say anything. Sometimes when you're afraid or hurt or down or disappointed or feeling anxious, it's just best not to say anything until you can get yourself to the place where the words that are going to come out of your mouth line up with the promise of God for your life. Come on. Sometimes it's just better to zip the lip, take a little trip to shutty town. You know, sometimes it's good just to have a silent night. You know what I'm talking about? Like, when you're down, when you're low, like we need, that's the moment that we need to express our faith, and listen, your faith in whatever your faith is in is expressed as you release your words. The Bible says the spirit of faith is I believe and therefore I speak. So whatever is coming out of your mouth is where your faith is in. So you can say, oh, I believe in God's promises, but then when we start talking about healing or finances or mental health or whatever the subject is, and you're what believe in somebody, well, I just don't know if God can heal me. I just don't know if God's going to come through. Yeah, God, I think you're my provider, but they just don't have enough funds this month. They just don't know what they're going to do about this. And this that's what their faith is in. So when you're down, when you're feeling confused, like, Whatever it takes, if you need to just grab a hold of your tongue and just not like sometimes, you know what I'm saying? And I know, I know social media has taught us to post about every little thing that comes into our mind, but listen, every little thing that comes into your to your head or to your mouth doesn't need to come out of your mouth. 
Sometimes it's better just to be, be quiet. Here's another pro tip to choosing faith over fear. It matters more about who you're uh, around than what you're going through. If you're going to choose faith over fear, it matters more who you're around than what the situation is. You'll always go through situations, and everybody's situations will be different. But who you're around will help determine more about if you'll be able to choose faith or if you'll be able to choose fear. Because you can, you can want to choose faith and be around the, the gossipers, and you can be around the people who just want to rehearse their pain, and they can never get past it in the name of whatever they want to call it. But you're going to choose fear in that place. I, I love the scripture, Psalms, uh, Psalms chapter 1, um, where he says, I will not sit in the seat of the scorner or sit in that place with the gossip, but my delight, he says, is in the law of the Lord. Like, it matters more who you're around than what you're going through. So in 2023, faith will be our default. Come on, not fear. Faith will be our response. And I wonder who in your family is waiting for you to embrace your calling and begin to walk out your faith, to make those daily decisions. Who's been watching you and your family? I wonder who in your life, at your work, is waiting for you to embrace your calling and begin to walk in faith in the midst of some rapping that doesn't look so good. See, God's idea from the very beginning is that everyone who is a follower of Jesus would be a minister of his mercy, grace, and his forgiveness, his reconciliation is the Bible word of helping restore people to who God created them to be, to bring them into the family. You can read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 if you don't believe me. God has called every one of us to be a minister. So look at your neighbor and say, I'm a minister. Oh, that wasn't very convincing. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm, I'm a minister. That was a little better. Let's try it one more time. A little more gusto, a little more belief in yourself. Say, I am a minister. There you go. Some of y'all didn't know you were going to come to church and be ordained into the ministry. There you go. Now, <laughs> you are a minister, and yes, we do have an official ordination process for those who, it doesn't just happen like that, okay? If you're interested in that, come talk to me. We'd love to walk through that process with you. Um, if we take the churchiness out of the word ministry, it literally just means to care for the needs of people, both spiritual and physical. That's ministry. So whether you work at an office building, you have your own business, you are at home with the kids, or you work at the church, you are in the ministry. The ministry of caring for the physical and spiritual needs of people. So what are we doing? We're sharing our faith with people. We're building people up, helping people reach their potential, not just constantly cutting them down through whatever else. Like That is the ministry. And sometimes the gift looks different than the wrapping. Do you ever wonder... How the shepherds knew where to go. I was reading the story this week, and I was like, how do the shepherds know where to go? I mean, did they just, I, I, Bethlehem was a smaller town right outside of Jerusalem, but did they just go from barn to barn? Uh, any babies born in here tonight? Because the scripture says they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. So they weren't like searching. They somehow knew where to go. Do you ever wonder, like, like, have you ever tried to follow a star somewhere? It wasn't just like the star was moving through the sky and just, just like zeroed down in there. No. Like somehow through what the angel told them, they knew exactly where to go to the degree they could go there with haste. They could go there with quick. They didn't know the speed limit. They were just going, I just need to get there. You know what I mean? They got there with haste. The angel said, this will be 
assigned to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. See, these shepherds, when you look back at history, uh, these weren't just regular shepherds. See, a, a normal shepherd uh, would have not been, uh, they wouldn't have been traditionally educated. They would have just been a common person. But the shepherds in Bethlehem at this point in history, they were not regular shepherds. You can, you can do the research. The shepherds in Bethlehem at this point in history were part of the priesthood of the people of Israel. So they were, had been raised up like a priest. They knew the scripture. They had memorized it. They would have known about the Messiah and him coming. They would have known about the prophecies of the Messiah. It's just that their natural assignment in the priesthood was to care for the sheep that were being raised to be used for Passover celebration. Interesting. This, the shepherds in Bethlehem were, were taking care of the flock of sheep that were raising up the, the, the lambs used for Passover. In case you don't know what Passover is, every year the Jewish people celebrate the festival of Passover, which is when they remember how God delivered the people of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt. We read the story in the book of Exodus, how the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and God brought Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. Nine times Pharaoh said, no way, Jose, and then the plague of God came. The tenth time Moses came, said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. Then the, it says the angel of death sent by the Lord came to kill the firstborn of everyone in the land who did not have the blood of a lamb on their doorpost. So God had told the people of Israel, put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost and the death angel will pass over your house. That's why it's called Passover. So the Israelites obeyed God, put the blood of the lamb around the door, and um, the Egyptians did not. So in the morning, they woke up, and all the firstborn of the Egyptians were dead. And Pharaoh said, get out of here. So they left. God delivered his people. And every year since, the people of Israel celebrate the Passover because God passed over and delivered them out of bondage, right? It's a picture, a symbolic picture of what Jesus would do. Remember John the Baptist when he saw Jesus right before he baptized him? What did he call him? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth, right? The sin of the world. Jesus, it was a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. And so here, these shepherds are in this field raising the sheep that were used for the Passover. And what the shepherds would do is that when a sheep would be born, uh, they would inspect it. Was it the firstborn of this lamb, and, and if it was, they would look at it. Is it, is it spotless? Is it without defect? Is it without blemish? If it met all those criteria, they would take this little baby lamb and they would wrap it in something called swaddling clothes and to keep it from hurting itself, and they would bring it inside of this tower that was there called the Tower of the Flock. The Hebrew name was Migdal Adar. And they would bring these lambs inside of Migdal Adar. And inside there was a, like a stall there where they would keep the little lambs to keep them safe so they would stay prepared for the Passover celebration. This is a, a photograph of what uh, is believed that Migdal Adar looked like. Kind of this tower, the tower of the flock um, there right on the outskirts, right on the edge of uh, Bethlehem. And uh, you can research about Migdal Dark goes all the way back to ancient times. The earliest reference we have to this physical location is in Genesis chapter 35, where Jacob, you know, you have Abraham, Isaac, 
Jacob, that Jacob. He's there. He wrestles with God. He calls that place Bethel. He gets up and it says he moves, uh, Genesis 35, 21. It says, as, as Jacob journeyed, he spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar, beyond Migdal Adar, beyond that point. And there Jacob is. It's in that place that his wife Rachel uh, dies in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. Like that's what's happening in this place. And it's here, fast forward to the first Christmas, it's here at that same place, at Migdal Adar, where these shepherds are tending the flocks, preparing for Passover. And these shepherds, being in the priest, they would have known about the Messiah. They would have known scripture. They would have heard this prophecy in the book of Micah. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Micah chapter 4, verse 6. Through eight, it says this, in that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day forever. The Lord, he's not talking about, he's talking about the Messiah will rule over them. As for you, watchtower of the flock. In Hebrew, that word right there, as for you, Migdal Adar. Stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. So Micah is saying in this place that the Messiah would come through this place, Migdal Adar, right? The tower of the flock. That's why I believe that 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 place, Migdal Adar, was actually the place where Jesus was born, not some random barn behind a packed out Motel 6. I know that. I know that, you know, like, that's how we want to want the Christmas story to be, and we've heard it so many times, but God is, God don't make mistakes. Okay, my mother-in-law agrees. Let me say it one more time for those in the back. God does not make mistakes. We just read it a little bit ago. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan, and it wasn't at the last moment to forget his VRBO reservation for the hotel. It wasn't so that they could just be running, God, did you forget about us, where we're supposed to stay during the most important moment of history? No, before the foundation of the earth, God had a plan. It was so purposeful that he put it all the way throughout the book that this place, Migdal Adar, I believe, is the place where God, uh, where Jesus was born. God doesn't make mistakes. God never says, oops. <laughs> you know, we make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. And I don't know the exact circumstances of how they ended up at Migdaladar that night, but I believe it was by the, the purposeful spirit of God that they ended up in this place. And that's why I believe the shepherds knew exactly where to go, that this group of shepherds with only a sign, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloth lying in a manger. And actually when you look at the, the, the words, the word swaddling cloth describes how they would describe wrapping the baby lambs and putting them in the place. And we have this word in Scripture that Luke uses in the original Greek as he's writing this in Luke chapter 2 when he says, you will find the babe wrapped in a manger. That Greek word there is this word fatni. And I don't know if I said it right. P-H-A-T-N-E. This word is actually used several times throughout the book of Luke. Same writer. And every other time this word is translated, it's translated as the word stall. It's not translated as, this is the only place that word is translated as manger. Every other time this word is translated, it's translated as the word stall in reference to those towers where the shepherds would put the sheep. 
I believe it's this place, this purposeful place, where they knew right where to go. They knew exactly what the sign was. They didn't have GPS. It wasn't like, go to David Avenue and take a left. It's the third barn on the right. No, it was, this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloth. You'll find the lamb of God wrapped in cloth in, in this stall. You know exactly where it is. They knew right where to go in that moment. And I would just tell you, God is just as purposeful with your life. God is just as purposeful with your calling, with your giftings. That's why you're here in 2022 in East Orlando. That's why you're living and breathing today because God planned it that way. Since the foundation of the earth, you have a calling. God doesn't make mistakes. Your life is just as purposeful. And I know the wrapping hasn't looked the way you thought it would be. And maybe even other people tried to put a label on the wrapping. Maybe people have said failure or mess up or not good enough. Maybe you've put a label on your wrapping from your past of whatever it is. And today is a day I believe God is wanting to reveal to you the wrapping is not the gift. It's time to take the wrapping off. It's time to throw some of that wrapping in the fire and begin to walk with faith in the calling that God has put on your life because the label that God puts on your calling is chosen. You're chosen. The label that God puts on you is beautiful, wonderfully made. The label that God puts on your life is purposeful, able, well-equipped. The purpose that God puts on your life is, is His, His son, His daughter. The purpose that God puts on your life is capable, whole, joyful. Come on, let's get on our feet today. I believe on this week of Christmas that God is wanting to awaken us to the purposeful nature of his spirit that is in you. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through his word. 